0: Welcome to episode number 12 of the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I am thrilled to have you back. I am Jay Gallegos. And as you know, I am very passionate about personal growth. Join me and our guest as we talk about both spiritual and practical things, all based on the word of God, so we can become what God has intended us to be one step at a time. And well, in observance of Mental Health Awareness Month, I had the privilege of having a very interesting conversation with the First Lady of Family Fire United Pentecostal Church, Esmeralda Delgadillo. She ministers together with her husband, Pastor Gabriel Delgadillo. She has a master's degree in counseling and human relations and is a licensed professional counselor. She is an ordained minister for the UPCI. She also serves as a director of education and community outreach for CAC, the Center of Apostolic Counseling. She specializes in marriage and relationship counseling with a focus on therapy for couples. She is a very sought-out speaker and has spoken at multiple conferences, regional meetings, both family and marriage seminars. And in this episode, Pastor Delgadillo shares a powerful perspective on how we can cope with our past trauma, the importance of regulating our emotions, and so much more. She also encourages on how to become more aware and how we can better approach the topics regarding mental health, as well as the importance of expressing compassion for others. Well, I found this to be very helpful and valuable. It is a pleasure to invite you into my conversation with Pastor Esmeralda Delgadillo. Sister D, welcome to the podcast. I've been looking forward to this. We're glad to have you on.
1: Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join you today. And thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Yeah, I know it's been very chaotic here as of late. There's been so much going on. You've had your plate full with probably sessions, I I can imagine, I assume. (laughs) And uh, you're also getting ready and getting prepared for a doctoral thesis. You care to tell me a little bit about that?
1: Sure, sure. I'm in my uh, doctoral. I'm already Actually, toward the end, I was um, I went ahead and achieved the candidacy, but now I'm wrapping up the thesis project. So it's a doctors of professional counseling. Um, And so it's more on the clinical side. And my specialty is addiction and compulsive behavior. Mm. So it's an area that's very dear to my heart. And I specifically work with um, sex addicts and um, their spouses who are suffering with betrayal trauma. See. very interesting, interesting area. Uh, but I believe very much needed.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And where did, uh, your professional career or professional counseling journey begin? And tell me a little bit of how it's going today.
1: Okay. Well, um, I originally graduated from Texas Bible college and, uh, I really felt like that, that was the area that God had called me. Graduated high school, went straight into Bible college and really didn't know what was going to happen there. Um, But graduated from Bible college, got married um, and started an academy. So I was a principal for 16 years Mm. and uh, ran a private school. Absolutely loved it. Loved working with the students, loved working with the parents. But I think that was when I really started to feel that tug on my heart that I wanted to do more uh, than just education had a heart for helping hurting people. And uh, I had a variety of students that came from homes, broken homes, single moms. And um, I, I wanted to be present. I wanted to do, you know, do as much as I could uh, to be there emotionally, spiritually, and, and in different areas. So that's when I decided that I would uh, go for a master's degree in uh, counseling and human relations. And um, it was so much the Lord. Um, I didn't have to pay a penny for my education because I was a principal of an, uh, an ACE school. Um, school of Tomorrow covered the complete cost of my master's program. That's incredible. So I- It is. I could definitely see the hand of God in that and um, completed my master's degree with Liberty University. And of course, that was not the professional route that was not uh, was not sufficient enough to complete the Texas state requirements for a licensed professional counselor. Um, So I went ahead and decided, you know, at that point that maybe I would just pause a little bit and do pastoral counseling, so that's what I did. I started to see members of the church and offered pastoral counseling you know and and stuck to that um, you know that that area. I did not go outside of of those guidelines and I, I had to stay in things that I could navigate with and didn't use methodology or anything that was outside of my scope of of uh, professionalism or you know what what I was allowed to do and what I wasn't allowed to do. Um, but then I said, you know what, I think I want to go for it. (laughs) So I started Mm -hmm. to pick up classes at the Houston Graduate School of Theology and went ahead and, and did what I needed to do to go ahead and sit for my state exam. That's what I did. I passed it and, um, and the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know,
0: that's awesome. That's awesome. And I love to see your passion for what you do. And your heart is completely devoted to that. And it and it's very transparent. You can obviously see it. And and then just the way that you express about it. Uh, I know my wife, she was one of your students. And you are yes. very dear to her <laughs> and to our family and to our church family oh. as well. And there's a lot of ties there. So I know that um, it, you mean a, a lot to us.
1: So, oh, you absolutely. You, I, We love your family. We love your church. And Debbie is very dear to my heart also. <laughs>
0: Yeah. So in uh, observance in mental health month, I I thought it was very important to have these conversations Mm -hmm. just for awareness and and then just to help each other and to talk about it. And um, there's a lot of theories that are in regards to mental health and therapy Mm -hmm. and counseling among Christians, more specifically. So in the past years mental health has been arguably a neglected topic in relation to the church in my opinion and has been maybe left out in the dark is there a spiritual and practical approach to people or is it all just one sided is it more spiritual is it more practical how should we how should we view this
1: Well I think for for many years now there's been a lot of stigma surrounding mental health and mental illness Right so, you know, as a professional counselor, and I've had lots of people that ask me, well, what's the difference between, you know, pastoral counseling and professional counseling? And there is a difference because, you know, uh, I, I think pastors are our frontline uh, people, they're the ones that you know are uh, people will will approach first with their cares, you know with with the things that they're going through in their life when they have a crisis. they go to their pastors first and we are not here to take in any way uh, a pastor's place. That's not our job as professional counselors. We want to assist them. We want to be there to to be a support system for the pastors. Um, and so, in pastoral counseling, the pastor is going to approach things from a, a biblical-based approach, a biblical-based worldview, and they're going to uh, maybe uh, help you know their their constituents, their saints navigate through spiritual themes, you know. And and there are some things that are spiritual, but there are also some things that are, their illnesses, they're, they're mental illnesses. There's neurobiological things going on. There's organic things that are going on. And as professional counselors that, you know, that have had the education, that have had years of schooling, they've passed their their licensing uh, exams and they've done the work and they're, they're uh, equipped to be able to point those things out, uh, to be able to look at those things and, 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 and maybe provide relief in certain areas and where pastors are trained in those areas of spirituality. So there are differences. And again, we're not here to, to take away from that. You have licensed professional counselors that are apostolic which is a great thing because not only do they have the biblical worldview, but they also have the professionalism, the schooling behind it. Right. So really you're getting the best of both worlds. And so I'm excited about that because I'm actually the director Of education and community outreach for the center for apostolic counseling which is an amazing network because all of our clinicians are uh they're licensed professionally by their state which means that they're held to a different standard and ethical guidelines of their state and they're held accountable ethically and spiritually to the word of god right Right. Okay. So we have, you know, therapists that are filled with the Holy Ghost that can speak to both the spiritual and the mental and the emotional aspect of a person's health.
0: Absolutely. Would you say that there is a specific line that you would draw between maybe, and I know this can be uh, very, very broad, but... Is there a line between saying well we can address this with pastoral help and then from here forward there's a threshold where it's professional help required?
1: Yes, if you have somebody who and and this is this is something that I think we definitely need to look at address. There are people that are filled with the Holy Ghost. That love God with all of their hearts, but do have mental illness. You have diseases, you have things like bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, those things that have nuances that are rooted in mental illness. And these are people that are in our churches. And so many times they are labeled as people, you know, uh, people think that they're demon possessed. People think that they just can't get over stuff, that they're drama, you know, uh, those kinds of things. And in reality, the church needs to be trauma informed. We have to understand that there are people in our churches that have been wounded. They have, you know, severe post-traumatic stress disorder. Are there, there are personality disorders. These people are sitting in our pews and instead of being able to embrace them and love them and, and understand that we do not need to indict them, you know, we, we need to stop uh, judging and criticizing and, and putting more shame. We would never shame somebody in our church that has cancer or, or that has, you know, another disease in their body that they've yet to been uh, be healed from. Right. You know, you don't go to someone who is who has an, an issue with diabetes, you know, who may be struggling with their weight or those kind of things and shame them, you know, and say, well, if you just did this, this and this, then you would feel better, you know, especially if they're working on things or if they, you know, maybe have been suffering with this illness for quite a while and the healing has just not occurred yet. Right. We would never indict them. We would never insult them. We would continue to have faith for them. We would continue to pray for them. Why do we not have that same approach with mental illness?
0: Right. Do you feel that it's a lack of awareness maybe on the church part in general? Because we're so quick to draw sometimes, you know, it's just natural inclination, natural yeah. human instinct at times. Is it just lack of awareness or just... I uh, believe so. Yeah.
1: I do believe so. And I think it's fear sometimes. Because we don't know what to do when we have, you know, those kinds of individuals in our churches. And that's why we need to be trauma informed. That's why we do need to educate ourselves. That's why we need podcasts like this, where we are talking about it. These are conversations that need to happen in our churches, with our our leadership teams, you know, with our children. Because we're seeing that mental illness is coming to the surface, not that it's more prevalent. We're just talking about it more. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're removing the stigma and we're saying, hey, just because someone suffers with this doesn't mean that they're not part of the body of Christ. Doesn't mean that they're wrong because you know what? God doesn't make mistakes. Right. Absolutely. He does not make mistakes. And if somebody is suffering from mental illness, we need to do the best that we can, you know, to to show compassion, because that's what Jesus would want. That's who Jesus is. Absolutely. We're uncomfortable sitting with people, you know. Sometimes when they're a moment in a moment of despair, you know, I've heard people say from the pulpit, you know, if you're depressed, you just need to get over it, and 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 now and we do not for one moment minimize the fact that prayer works and that God can heal us. But there, are, again, there are some neurobiological things, you know, that happen sometimes, and it can be very complex. Yeah. We don't always understand the kind of trauma and experiences and attachment wounds that people have when they walk into a church.
0: Yeah. So I want to talk about trauma. But before we get to that point, you know, we are obviously very prayer centered, faith based. And I don't want this to be um, misunderstood by any way. But we all we, of course, encourage Bible reading, the scripture, uh, Mm -hmm. the memorization of scripture. But sometimes just simply repeating, for example, the joy of the Lord is my strength or Mm -hmm. uh, it's simply not enough. Sometimes in just and you need the next step. Are we responsible for taking the next step beyond just simply scripture to help mitigate what we're facing? How do we approach that?
1: Well, I, I, you know, if you can imagine that, you know, if we, we hold on to the scripture, it's something that we mentally embrace. Well, what if you have somebody who has, you know, difficulties really processing things mentally? You know, w- you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, when we think about these occurrences that happen, uh, you know, as such as you know, such things as trauma, trauma is something that is trapped in the body. And sometimes yeah. the body, the nervous system is so dysregulated that we can't mentally absorb anything. Thing. It's it's impossible until we regulate those other systems, you know. Until until the body and the nervous system are calm enough to be able to process those things, or maybe there, are, you know, uh, conflicting things going on in the mind. And so being able to really process the word of God and think about those things, sometimes people need to be on medication and, and we indict them for it. Why do you need to be on medication? You just need to trust the Lord. Well, if I can't calm my mind, I won't be able to process the word of God. Right, right. You know, again, we, we do not invite people who have high blood pressure, who are going to need to be on medication so that their their blood pressure can be stabilized so that they can be healthier, so that they can have the strength and the wherewithal to change those things in their lives that they are responsible for.
0: With your experience and the things that you've seen, how have you seen maybe uh, mental health or mental illness create limitations in our faith and our relationships?
1: I, I think that sometimes when there are attachment wounds in in childhood um or severe trauma, we all develop a filter that we use, um, you know in how we approach relationships. For example, if a person in childhood has had attachment wounds and they have not been shown or or uh, expressed love or have have received love. We're given love that bleeds over into every other relationship in their life. I often tell people the very first love affair we ever have is with our parents, Mm -hmm. it's not with God yet because we're babies, we're children, so we don't know about how to approach those spiritual things yet. So how, how do we embrace spirituality? It's through the relationship that we have with our parents. My dad loves me. I love my dad. My dad shows me love. I show my dad love. There's that reciprocation. The same thing with mom. So you can imagine a person who doesn't receive those things in childhood, grows up, and as they begin to know God, Guess what filter they're going to use? They're going to use that filter of how they learned attachment, what they learned about relationship. So a lot of times when there's those wounds or there's trauma and they look at God, they want to connect with God, but they have those trauma responses even to the things of God. So you can imagine this person walking into a church and we're trying to pray them through to the Holy Ghost. And we just, you know, we were all over them, you know, and sometimes we're looking at them and, you know, we're thinking, come on, you've just got to try harder. You've got to, you know, you've just got to call on his name. Well, that's wonderful for you and I, and maybe we have no problem being vulnerable and transparent with God. But for a person that has trauma, for a person who doesn't know if they can trust, is trying to open up to God. And sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes there's fear. Sometimes, you know, you look at the trauma responses in a person's life and you have, you know, the fight response, you have the flight response, the freeze response, the submit shame response. So there's all these responses. And here we are, you know, trying to reach out to people. If we don't have an understanding that not everybody is, is going to come to God the way that we expect them to, you know, and we push them, we could be re-traumatizing them. Right. So, so does, you know, can those things, can mental illness or mental, you know, mental wounds uh, affect the way that we receive love from God, the way that we give love to God? Absolutely.
0: When it comes to the church, I'm just kind of curious as you were speaking with that Uh, How do we differentiate or how can we better approach that and say there's something deeper here versus, well, it's just somebody that's just maybe a bit disconnected or maybe uninterested. How do we differentiate that?
1: I think, first of all, we have to educate ourselves. So I think psychoeducation, I think we need to have the heart of Jesus. Um, you know, when you look at Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Right. So I think that we have to take responsibility by being transparent. Yeah, if we have to be able to recognize that, you know, if you've ever if you've ever struggled with depression, you know, with anxiety, sometimes we're very reluctant to share those things to say, you know, at one time, I remember that I did have suicidal ideations. And of course, I'm not talking about just throwing your stuff out there, but I'm talking about really giving witness and testimony to how God heals us in those areas. Yeah. And and sometimes we're very reluctant and ashamed and we would never share those things. But according to his word, you know, God is a God of compassion and he comforts you so that you can comfort others.
0: Absolutely. When it comes to fear, anxiety and depression and and these types of emotions, we are often we tend to hide them. Is that something that you see quite frequently we we tend to hide these emotions or or we're taught maybe early on just by just by the way that we live or the way that we grew up where we stuff things down and we just carry them with us and for example like you mentioned you know depression uh, maybe not everybody's open and willing to admit it or be transparent Uh, with anxiety maybe people feel a little vulnerable in private or maybe even shameful in public but is that something that is common to where we stuff things down and we just tend to carry them with us as, as we go along life?
1: Yeah. I, th- I think that we all have that, um, you know, that, that sense, that mask that we wear sometimes, you know, because nobody likes being vulnerable or, or transparent. It's not fun. And, and I'm not saying that we should be open and transparent and vulnerable to everybody. I think that we should be vulnerable To God and transparent to God, and when we look to God, I think this is very important. When we look to God, and especially because the times that we are living in are very dark, but when we look to God and and we can see Him and keep our eyes on him, then I think that we see light and he shines a light in the darkness and we're able to see the resources and the people that he's provided for us to be a support system. And so sometimes there are people who there's, there is a a certain sense of anxiety that is very normal. You know, a, a certain measure of anxiety keeps us, you know, on our toes and pushes us to do better OK, mm-hmm. and, and it's also our nervous system that sends off these little bitty red flags that lets us know that we're in danger. But there are, you know, there, there are certain instances where the anxiety be- can become debilitating. You know, if it's stealing our sleep from us and and we're not able to function, we need to reach out. No matter who you are, we need to reach out. The same thing with depression. You know, sometimes there's a spirit of despondency and you'll look throughout the word of God. There were many men of God that suffered with depression, but there's depression, there's despondency, there's depression, there's discouragement, and then there's clinical depression. Clinical depression is quite different. This is a person who can no longer function. You know, they're not wanting to get up and take a shower. Their, 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 their quality of life is lessening, you know, as the days go by. And sometimes that can lead, you know, to some very dark thoughts, suicidal ideations and where they want to take their lives. And that is something that we are seeing even in the church. They would never share it with anyone. Why? Because there is a certain level of shame, I think, that that, you know, we cast on people. Well, come on, you can pray through this. Come on, you just got to get up, can't you? Just move on, like motivate yourself. And again, if we're not careful, we don't understand that sometimes there are chemicals in the body. There's certain levels that we are not producing and we need help and medicine needs to come in and we should not shame people for that. Yeah. You know, so I do think that we need to be aware and we need to speak up. We need to speak up. But as a church and as people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to make space for people to do that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. How, how dangerous can that be, being that someone carries so many different things and emotions and they're not really vulnerable enough or they, they're not willing to express them? Does that cause stress on the body over a prolonged period of time? And does that tend to maybe cause uh, maybe a domino effect or a cascading effect of illnesses on the body trying to release these different types of emotions?
1: absolutely your your body you know and and this is it i i think that when we have these these responses to life situations you know many times they are trauma responses and you have people that are Um, hyperactivated. These are the people that, you know, have, you know, episodes, you know, meltdowns or very, very emotional, nervous breakdowns. But then you have people that are hypoactivated and that's literally where they collapse. It's just almost a freeze. They feel like there's no hope a lot of despondency, a lot of isolation. So these are things that we actually need to be aware of. You'll see it because they they do tend to get sick. You know, their immune system is in a whole different place. So the body does start shutting down and and we can see it. Sometimes they'll stop eating. They're They're not wanting to sleep anymore or they can't sleep. They'll suffer with insomnia. And so if you're getting to that point where you're not sleeping, you know, you're not eating very much. Um, I would definitely say reach out to somebody, um, somebody that you trust. And I think this is where we need to do a better job. If somebody comes to you and says, you know, hey, I'm really struggling in this area. I think, again, we need to be patient with people. You know, we need to as churches, we need to have resources. You know, we, we need to, you know, again, we have the Center for Apostolic Counseling, you know, where uh, we have counselors we don't have them in every state, but we do have some states where we have uh, uh, various and numerous therapists there. And even if you can't get to a an apostolic therapist, and I do have to say this because we don't have them in every state, but if you can have a Christian therapist that aligns with your values, you know, and, and sometimes people are afraid, and I'm going to admit that, that it's, yeah. it's sometimes it can be very scary when you have somebody in your church or in your family who has had suicidal ideations, who has had suicidal attempts. It's a very scary place to be. But if a person is getting to that point, why would we not offer help? We can't sit on something like that. Right. If somebody was having a heart attack in your living room, you wouldn't just give them something, massage their heart, or give them an aspirin, maybe to hold them over until the ambulance gets there, right? But we would definitely call for the experts. We would definitely want the best help for them. Why would we not do that for somebody struggling with mental illness like depression or anxiety?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be treated with um, with the utmost care and uh, with the mm-hmm. correct people, of course. Instinctively, do we try to dull the emotion? Do you see that as being like um, an instinct that we carry to try to avoid it or placate it? But I, I would think that that requires a lot of effort, just trying to maybe dull it down with different things. Does that make it worse by trying to hide it with uh, maybe being distracted with just anything?
1: Yes, actually, we we call that the flight response. And so again, if a person has had An attachment wound, you know, growing up or even through relationship, you know, and they've been hurt or wounded. We all respond some way or another when we feel danger you know, when we feel pain. And for some people, they have that fight response. And these are the people that, you know, uh, are going to take control of things. They, they are not going to let anything hurt them, you know, very angry, sometimes judgmental, mistrustful, very self-destructive behavior doesn't, you know, is offended very quickly. You know, that's the fight, but then you have the flight response and that's the escape. I'll do anything uh, to to keep from feeling the pain that I'm feeling right now. So those are the people that will distance themselves. Um, they, they tend to become um, very heavily involved in addiction. Why? Because I'd rather live in a fantasy world than have to face my pain or to be in this situation of danger. So this is where we see, you know, things like sexual addiction, drug addiction, alcohol, eating disorders, now gaming, social media. I mean, I I, I know people, you know, who've come in and said, you know, I, I asked them, how many hours a day do you spend on your phone? And, and some will say six, seven hours. And I'm like, that's almost a full-time wow. job. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but that's where we're at. We'd rather live in a fantasy world than to face the reality of our lives.
0: Yeah. When it comes to trauma and depression, everybody deals with it differently. It may not be, um, maybe not everybody's uh, up to date with how to deal with certain things. And if we're carrying things around, it shows up in different ways. And one of those, like you mentioned with the body, we start feeling ill and sick and and maybe it leads to a heart attack, for example. Mm -hmm. But what are some other ways that trauma tends to show up for different, for different types of people?
1: Well, like I said, I think sometimes people freeze. These are the people that maybe set goals and they, you know, if somebody says something to them, you know, they freeze or they feel like, you know what, I'm a total loser. Um, I can't do this. And so they're, they're frozen. They're terrified. These are the people that live their lives in total fear. And so when something happens, they begin to panic. They have nightmares flashbacks, panic attacks. These are all obvious responses to a narrative that they speak to to themselves. We all tell ourselves a story. You know, I always tell people, you know, especially when they're easily offended or they feel like the whole world is against them. I always tell them, you know, if you would pause, not everything is about you. Not everything is geared towards you, but we receive it that way because we all tell ourselves a story. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody does something, we feel like it affects us. I always tell people, what do you say? What are you saying to yourself in that moment? And a lot of times we are the ones that are indicting ourselves. So I think our the way that we, you know, um, we relate to other people is indicative of what's going on in our heart and our mind. And you said it earlier, when we don't speak our truth, when we're not communicating what's going on inside of our heart and our mind, and we don't have a safe place to do that, the body begins to speak for you. And this body, we get one body and this body houses all of the trauma, crisis, situations, trials, tribulations, all of the turmoil sometimes, the good and the bad. You get one body and it it, it houses all of that. Yeah. You can imagine the wear and tear on this body.
0: Absolutely. It can be a lot of stress.
1: It is. It is. So, so as a therapist, a lot of times, uh, you know, I will start from the bottom up, not top bottom. Yeah. So what I mean by that is I say, let's regulate your nervous system first. Let's get some of the tension out of your body first. You know, whether it be through exercise, stretching, you know, deep breathing, I want to regulate the body, the nervous system first, because then we have the peace in our body to be able to process the things in our mind. So I start from the bottom up, to, you know, uh, instead of just the thoughts, because your thoughts can be clear, you know, but your body's doing something totally different. You have heart palpitations, you know, nervous, you know, constantly moving, can't sit still. So I think that that is the body's way of telling us something is off.
0: Yeah. How do we do that? How do we, um, instead of maybe targeting to eliminate, how do we better regulate that?
1: Well, um, there's different ways that we can regulate our body. I think exercise is a very good one, first of all. You know, sometimes it's just going outside and taking a walk and just meditating. I think, you know, I think there are people, some people that are very uncomfortable with grounding and mindfulness because it's used in a lot of secular ways. But in reality, God is the one that created everything that we have in this earth. (laughs) You know, so we look at the birds and the trees and, and the sun and all of those things, enjoying nature and just taking it in and pausing, just pausing because we live in a world that is so fast paced, you know, and then and we have things that are constantly thrown at us. In the digital world. So we don't have, you know, what we used to have in, in generations past, where we're able to just enjoy and take things just a little slower. So I think being able to regulate and, and this is really really great because when we learn to self-regulate, then we can co-regulate. And I love this because as parents, we need to make sure that we are regulated. You know, if you you have little children, you know that if mom's in a bad mood (laughs) or if Mm. dad's in a bad mood, you know, what's going to happen. That is, that is something that our children absorb. They can, you don't even have to say anything, but if you walk in a room and you're uptight and you're stressed guarantee you that child is going to pick up on your nervous system. Yeah. You know, and so if we're, you know, a- a- in any way activated with our voice or the look on our face, that child is going to be activated. So as parents, we have to learn how to self-regulate. As spouses, we have to learn how to take responsibility for our emotions and what's happening inside of us. And if we can do that, we are going to be wonderful co-regulators for the entire family. You know, so we have to see what works for us. Is it, you know, a, a good playlist? Is it, you know, is it going to be that playlist that really gets you in a, in a, in a mood of you know what I am grateful today you know and gratitude is something that can help you know change the brain it really does it's thank god for neuroplasticity we can retrain our brain when we are stuck in negative loops gratitude can do that so that's another way that we start to regulate ourselves physically mentally spiritually
0: so there's things that we can absolutely apply to ourselves and things that we can do to regulate. And I think that I've maybe come across a few of these organically, not realizing or right. maybe not even mm-hmm. intentional, because when I was younger, uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, going to the gym, get a good workout, yes. and I'd come home. Mm-hmm. and It would just completely open up my mind. I, I noticed that I can think better. I felt better. And then after a while when my uh, work uh schedule became very very complicated i couldn't do it as freely anymore i was a little more limited and i would tell my wife i'd come home and tell her i need to go so then it wasn't yeah. until that i explained to her I was like this is more therapeutic than it is anything else it right. makes me just feel that much better i am much more confident and it and it's very very impactful on the body and i've um another one that i've maybe come across is also music and Absolutely. Work, yeah so what are uh, Those are just very practical ways maybe that we can um, uh, apply to ourselves, right?
1: Yes, I think that you can, if you think about it, we have five senses. God didn't give us five senses just to give us five senses. You know, those are avenues. Those are ways that we can, you know, take in all of the wonderful things that God has given us. I tell people, you know, if you really feel dysregulated and we have to know ourselves, we have to know what works for us. I can, you know, talk about working out, but there might be somebody who says I work out and that just makes me more anxious. Mm. (laughs) So. You know, if you're the type of person that is very activated, then doing something that's going to be very calming, you know, like laying down and doing stretches. And again, I think there's some people, you know, uh, especially I think Christians were really uncomfortable with that, but we are not dualistic creatures. You know, everything we do in our body affects our spirit and everything we do with our spirit affects our body. That's why when we, you know, feel the presence of God, we use all of our faculties in our body and we want to feel God holistically and Every part of our body, you know, so we need to understand that when we want to be regulated, we are not just approaching or addressing the spiritual. We're doing body, soul and spirit, all of it together. And there's going to be those moments when you've had a really good prayer meeting, you know, and you'll say, why do I still feel this way? You know, God is still on the throne. Just because we're dysregulated, that doesn't take God off the throne, but we can take responsibility and see what works for us. You know, I know for me personally, uh, you know, I like sense, you know, I, and I tell people if you use, you know, your olfactory glands, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's coffee candles. (laughs) You know, when I smell a good coffee candle, I think it takes me back to some very pleasant moments in my grandmother's home. You know, when she would, you know, she would make coffee for me with a lot of, you always say leche con café, a lot of it. And it was (laughs) so soothing for me. And those are memories that literally are very calming for me. It puts me in a good place. And so I think those things, you know, um, whether it's listening, like I said, to a good a good playlist or it's putting something in your mouth. Sometimes when people are stuck and, and maybe in, in an episode where they're feeling a lot of anxiety and they're feeling a panic attack, I tell them, pop something in your mouth, bite on a lemon, put a peppermint in your mouth, something that's spicy. Why? It, it awakens. It has to awaken us and pull us out of that you know, uh, coloring, sometimes coloring can do that, an art, uh, some kind of arts and craft, something that can get you focused on everything except what you're feeling right there and then. Because a lot of times it's sometimes they're intrusive thoughts, they're distortions, you know, and we can feel those arrows. And and sometimes it is spiritual, you know, but I always tell people if it's spiritual and you use the word of God you know, it's going to go away because the enemy is defeated. He's under our feet. Right. And the word of God says we, we you know, pulling down all imaginations and, you know, or casting down all imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Yes. He is defeated. Those areas, we know that we are victorious, but then we have our body. Then we have our own will and our own emotions that we have to contend with.
0: Yeah. I find that fascinating how there's so many different ways that we can actually cope with things and, and treat ourselves. Uh, like you mentioned, the senses. Uh, I had never thought of that before uh, yeah. with, some, with different types. So it, it just whatever, what, everybody works different. And there's things that, that maybe work for me that might not work right. for someone else. And uh, I find that very, very fascinating. And, um, Uh, do you find that, do you find that maybe dangerous whenever we start leaning the other way, for example, like if someone's feeling very anxious and depressed and without even knowing, without being aware, maybe they'll reach over and grab a box of cookies or the ice cream and the, and the food and the comfort foods, I guess in general. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that leads us to a whole nother area of, um, negative effects and negative emotions, you know, and then it starts a domino effect from there. Is that yep. a dangerous line that that we come close to?
1: Yes, because when we're dysregulated, again, we're gonna we're gonna respond either the fight, flight, freeze, submit. And so yeah. that's the flight. I'm gonna escape. I'll do anything to not feel the pain, to not have to think. And so that can lead to addictive behavior. Yeah. And so we can have a food addiction. You know, I, I tell people who, you know, sometimes addictions will come in pairs. It's not usually gonna be one thing because once we lose control, we lose control. And so we start developing relationships with these things. Things that we use to medicate. and with food sometimes we can have a relationship with food. Instead of going to people, instead of talking to people, instead of looking for help, we find solace in food. We find solace in you know sexual acting out. We find solace in gaming and we are seeing it more and more. And so we have you know generation of people who don't know how to communicate, who don't know how to relate because they're in these fantasy worlds or because they have relationships with ne- with something that cannot reciprocate, you know, any kind of compassion or support.
0: Yeah. Whenever you're dealing with that, is it as simple as maybe just replacing the habit, replacing the routine or going about it a different way? Is it that simple or does it, or does it go more in depth?
1: It's not that simple. It's never just about, you know, why the food or You know, why the drugs? Why the alcohol? Why why the pornography? It's never just about that. It's what's the pain? Mm. What's the danger that you're sensing? What's the pain that you've been running from? Those are the things that we need to address. And that's what I would like, you know, people to really think about. If you're in pain, if you've been dealing with something for many years, or even if it's something that's current, look for help. Talk to somebody that you trust. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that are walking around in a lot of pain and they're used to that that's been the way that they have functioned for many years, you know. And so we're starting to see that it's so for some people it's 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 been unbearable. And here we are in church, you know, uh, many of them are sitting in our churches. Some of them are not, but many of them are. We have to create a safe space in the church to be able to minister first of all and then to love and support and extend compassion.
0: Yeah. Would you say that we all we often live we learn to live with our wounds and and we suppress the pain like we we've, we've been talking about but we claim we're okay. We do these things, we know they affect us but we claim we're okay. So how do we manage the triggers that tend to maybe Uh, strike the the behaviors and the negative behaviors? How do we manage the triggers and how do we become more aware of those?
1: I, I don't think that we can manage the triggers. I think when the triggers happen, those are symptomatic. I think they point to something that's deeper. And, you know, it's one thing when you've already addressed those things and you've already talked about them, then you can start. And then there is a certain process that we use as therapists to help people to identify triggers. But we don't ever just want to manage them because if we're managing them, then what we're doing is just kind of functioning in this cyclical behavior. And and that's what people have learned to do. They've learned to put a Band-Aid on it. And and we cannot do that because we might think in our minds, well, I have a handle on this. I've lived like this for many years. It is what it is. I hear that a lot, right? Yeah. Um, but, but the truth is, if we don't take care of it, that does spill over into the next generation. And there is such a thing as inherited family trauma. Mm. Your trauma becomes your children's trauma. And maybe it's not the same situation as some of the things that may have happened to you in your life, but the emotions are going to be the same. right? You know, if you have a a parent, you know, who has dealt with anxiety and depression and anger and all of those things, they spill over and your children will absorb those things. And then we wonder why, why does my kid have this attitude? And again, I'm not indicting parents, but what I'm saying is we've got to take responsibility for our own stuff. And don't right. just put a Band-Aid on the triggers. <laughs> Let the triggers serve as an alert, a red flag. Something's going on here. Why am I responding this way? What is the narrative that I'm telling myself about what's happening right now?
0: Yeah. So what I'm getting from this is the healing is at the very root of how we have to approach this and healing. I mean, obviously there's there's power in healing but healing from mm-hmm. our past wounds and Uh, healing from those things. And would you say maybe some of the baby steps in doing that is simply coming out and talking about it?
1: Yes. I, I, I think, you know, finding somebody that you trust. And obviously, again, there are some things that are very, very heavy very, very painful. So we don't just want to go around talking to just anybody, you know, um, go to your pastor, you know, if you, if you know that there are some things that you don't want to just share it and put out there because it is vulnerability. It is transparency. And those are, you know, we don't want to expose ourselves to everybody, you know, those parts of our hearts and our souls that have been wounded and traumatized, You know, I encourage you to go to your pastor and hopefully, you know, I, I know that there are many pastors and I'm very proud because I think there are many of them that are becoming trauma informed that are opening their churches to counselors and, you know, saying, hey, it's okay. Will you come and explain to us? Will you come share with us? Will you come educate us on these areas? You know, and so if you have a pastor that is support, go to your pastor, you know, and even if you don't think that he is, you know, um, I thank God for our pastors. And I think most of them do make space for people to share. Yeah. But I think I think the first thing is being able to, uh, you know, say that you're ready to give those things, first of all, over to God. And, and there is a body. That's why we have the body of Christ. When we go to God, all of a sudden we realize that we do need, we were wired for connection and relationship.
0: Right. So fortunately with this topic, not everybody deals with these types of things back. Maybe yeah. when I was younger, I would, I would think, you know, why, you know, what, why are you considering suicide? I didn't understand yeah. it, you know, and. I would uh, ask myself and maybe I had a problem with just simply understanding how somebody would fall into depression and not want to come out of the room. And everybody expresses empathy and compassion differently, especially in the church. We deal with the community. Everybody comes in with some type of brokenness, whether they admit it or not. We're all there with something that we carry, even, even the ones that are most um, from top down it, it, mm-hmm. across the board. We all have something that we're dealing with. And how do we better uh, demonstrate empathy and compassion when uh, maybe we all express it differently?
1: I think we have to stop being uncomfortable with grief and sadness and sorrow. Um, I've, I've talked to many people who feel very indicted when they express these feelings of hopelessness And being in this dark place. And I often think about Jesus and what the word says about Jesus, that he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He -hmm. felt it. He lived it. He experienced it. And I think I, I, I like to go back to the garden of Gethsemane. And when he was there and he's, you know, he decided that that was not a place that he wanted to be by himself. He was so sorrowful and he was so grieved because he knew he, the the, the place that he was going to have to endure was going to be so dark that it was death that was going to be upon him. That's a dark, dark shadow. But here we find him and he decides, I don't want to do this by myself. So he tells two of his disciples, just come with me, sit with me, pray with me. Don't leave me alone here, basically. And although they fell asleep, I think it speaks to what we need to be able to do for each other. And that's be present even in the pit. We don't like that. We're uncomfortable with, with that. It's like, get out. You need to get out of that pit. You know, yeah. but I believe with all my heart that even in our darkest days, Jesus doesn't walk out on us. He sits with us in that dark place and he transforms us. That is where we get to know God. So I think that we need to be comfortable. I'm not saying, you know, to, to stay in those dark places. No, what I'm talking about is be a support and be compassionate and be loving because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, you know, mourn with those that are mourning. I think we forget those scriptures sometimes, Right. but that's what we are called to do.
0: And I think it wasn't until that I experienced it for myself, what Maybe, for example, anxiety, what that felt like, or in a, um, a very heavy episode of anxiety where there was a time where uh, I received a promotion and early on I was going into an area that was very new to me and it carried a lot of stress with the role. And all of a sudden when I found myself in the middle of it and just overwhelmed, I think I peaked at some point and I, and I began to feel this like heaviness in my chest and just... Yeah. Um, felt my heart maybe beating inside of my chest a little heavier than normal. And I I felt like it was um, a difficulty breathing and I had to step away. I had to step away. And I was like, I I thought to myself, is this, is this what anxiety feels like? I don't know what it feels like. So it wasn't up until then that I understood it. And I started educating myself a little more about it. And I felt much more compassionate and empathetic with uh, everyone that dealt with that. So from there forward, and, and not only that, but just knowing that depression runs in, in my family, right? I, I've i very I've, I've carried that role very heavily and wanted to fight against it and raise awareness and help others in that. And this is why I, I love having this conversation about it because I know that nowadays anxiety, depression, and uh, all of these things that go along with that are very very popular, and maybe oh. even more now than it was ten years ago. Um, I'm not the professional, you are, but I, I would make that assumption. And uh, yes. we, we see that it's uh, popping up a lot more and people struggle with that so much. So I really appreciate everything that that you're doing. I appreciate everything that you've shared with us and being open and transparent with us. And uh, there were, there was something that I wanted to ask you. Because sure. young people uh, hold a very, very special place in my heart. Early on, I was a youth pastor, and even until now, I work with young people, and I feel that once you're a youth pastor, you're always a youth pastor. But do you feel that the presence is more important in the lives of young people than relevance when it comes to the healing process?
1: Yes. Yes. I th- I think this goes back to what I was saying is that we definitely need to make space. I think that we have a generation of young people that are extremely lonely. Extremely lonely and extremely disconnected. We need to have conversations. We need to include them, you know, um, put time regulations on their phones, you know, have them to be present. It's one thing to to be you know, um, in a room with somebody, you know, you, you see it on social media, they have like thousands of friends or hundreds of friends, but none of them are really connected to one another. Right. And so we need to make it a point to talk to one another, to talk to our young people. You know, as parents, we need to talk to our young people. You know, we need to teach them how to have relationship, how to manage their emotions themselves. You know, what do I do when I have these emotions or these feelings? You know, do I just sit in my room? I I think I've seen a couple of things out there where, you know, sometimes kids just lock themselves in their rooms or go into their rooms and everybody's disconnected in the home. Yeah we have to learn how to be present. And again, this goes back to not just in the words that we say, but our nervous system, you know, do we show up for one another? Are we, you know, in close proximity? Do we sit and eat dinner together? You know, even sitting down to eat dinner together, studies have shown that, you know, do reduce, reduce the possibility of suicide. Yeah. Why? Because we are mentally connecting. We're emotionally connecting. We're showing our children, we're showing our young people that we are vested in their lives and in their future. And we actually do want to know about them.
0: Right. And I think right?
1: it's a, I, I think it's extremely important.
0: Yeah. And it's a, d- a double edged sword with the phone in our hand and having so much uh, accessibility to it and everything being at our fingertips. And we can be at the dinner right. table, but I think it doesn't do very it doesn't do anyone any good. If you have the phone at the table, it it just (laughs) kind of backfires on that, you know, and everybody's just, you know, zoned out, but we're at the table. So I I think we have to take the next step from there. Um, Maybe being a little more aggressive with that. And maybe what we've decided to do is um, have a basket at, you know, away from the dinner table and say, okay, you know, this is our area. This is our time. We're going to talk about it. And my wife and I, for our boys, we've, uh, and, and they're still young they're still young, but we right. want to catch it early. Uh, we have a ten year old and a five year old and we intentionally ask them questions about their day and we, and right. we go through the whole circle but we've we we try to practice and we're not perfect we we still do it we catch ourselves, but we try to right. eliminate the phone at the table in certain areas and we try to focus completely on that but before I let you go, Sister D, um, I, I did want to ask you maybe if you could share some of your favorite books, something that you're currently reading, or maybe something that you would like to recommend, something that comes off um, that you would feel that it's helpful to the audience as far as resources or books or um, maybe websites sure. or. Mm-hmm.
1: One of one of my favorite books is The Body Keeps the Score by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. That's one of my favorite books. I think that's where I first really, really, you know, uh, discovered that there's so much that happens in the body that we're unaware of and how we need to be able to listen to that. And uh, so that's a very good one for anybody that's interested um also for resources if you go to the Center for apostolic counseling the www.apostoliccounseling.org and it of, of course it'll give a bio on each of our therapists, each of our clinicians that are with the Center for apostolic counseling and that is something that we definitely want people to be able to visit if you know they're listening from different states if there's anybody in their state, um, you know, we have psychologists, we have, um, uh, master social workers, licensed professional counselors, LMFTs, and all of them are Holy Ghost filled, baptized in Jesus name, apostolic clinicians.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. And thank you for everything you shared. Where can people connect with you on social media? Where do you spend more time these days?
1: Um, well, I, I'm on Facebook quite a bit. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I usually usually I'm on there and sometimes I will post and they can look me up, um, on my professional page, uh, Esmeralda Delgadillo LPC. And so I'm on there and they can message me through that Avenue or they can go, um, to again, the Center for Apostolic Counseling and there's a number on there and I will always get messages through there.
0: Excellent. We'll put some of that in the description if you're okay with that, Mm where people can access that. And again, I want to thank you so much for taking time and helping us today. I feel like this is something that we can talk so much about and learn so much more but uh, i think we've taken a a step forward in the right direction at least through our conversation today and i want to thank you for that
1: well thank you i really appreciate you doing this i think that this is going to um, bring some enlightenment and awareness to the people of god and this is exactly what we need to be doing thank you so much for all the work that you do
0: Thank you for joining our conversation today. Don't forget to visit the links in the description below where you can connect with Pastor Gabriel and Esmeralda Delgadillo and see all the many ways they are helping others on a professional level. If you found today's podcast helpful, I would love to hear from you. In the description below, you will find the social media links where we can connect. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. Also, you could help us reach others by leaving a good rating, a review, or sharing it on social media. That would mean so much to me. In the meantime, continue moving forward in the direction God is leading you. Continue taking steps closer and becoming who God has intended you to be so you can be impactful in every area of your life. God bless, and we'll see you on the next one.